What's up, guys? This is the audio version of the 100% Wild Podcast, episode number 30. And today, we've got Jeff Lindsay of the Lindsay Way Television Show to help us answer a listener question about using decoys. And being a consistently successful big buck killer from Iowa all the way to Georgia, Jeff has got some great insight on this one. So, without further ado, I'm going to kick it to our studio interview, and I hope you enjoy. All right, welcome to another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon with Wired to Hunt. I'm Matt Drury with Drury Outdoors. And we've got a great guest with us today on Skype. Who's that? We do. So we have um, somebody that is near and dear to our Drury Outdoors collective hearts because uh, he's a guy, him and his father, that came aboard with us uh, somewhere back in 06, 07, and really instantly... Uh, shot up to you know high in the ranks with us because of the way they produced quality content and of course captured big buck footage and uh, just doing it the right way and and really uh, clicked with us as far as people go and uh, that's Jeff Lindsay of the Lindsay Way. Hey guys, how y'all doing? Good, buddy. How are you? Doing good. Thank good you. you Thank again. you for joining us. Yeah, so back in those early days of uh, filming for – so really, did you guys ever film before you guys started filming for us? Just turkeys. We filmed a, a lot of turkey hunts. That's kind of how we got our start was filming turkeys. and But we really didn't start carrying a camera in the tree until we met Mark and you know, it kind of inspired us to take it out there and capture – doing the same thing we were doing in turkey woods and the deer woods. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Of course, you and, and your dad, David, were on Dream Season Celebrity. That was the first time that you guys were a, a cast member of one of our TV shows. You guys yep. won that season with Tim Sylvia. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there, you guys joined uh, on Dream Season The Journey. What, maybe a year? Was it right after that? Was it the next I season? I think it was two Two or three years later. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, you were on that for several, three, four seasons, and um, just just week in and week out brought the big buck footage. And I think everybody's familiar with um, we, what we call David versus Goliath, uh, the hunt for, for Goliath, and then, of course, uh, David connecting with Baby G. It's like some of the most iconic footage in Drury Outdoors history. I think it's it, some of the best footage of anything. Yeah. Any deer hunting yeah. show out there. Goliath walking out just there. Just that. Oh huge gosh. rack and because of the snow you know it, he just it silhouetted him almost i mean it's just unbelievable footage so of course you know every time we show that you know on social media or uh, the hunts on youtube for us it just every couple weeks or months it's crazy it'll go viral again like some somebody shared it or something and it yeah. catches back on and it's just such good footage and it was such i mean to this day it's probably one of the best stories the original 30 minute story that was on 100% wild volume 12 i think I think so. Uh, yeah, it was one of the best stories we ever told. I think uh, Mike Miranda, one of our long-term editors here in the studio, he's the one that edited it. It was just one of those stories that gripped you. It had all the pieces. You yeah. guys had the history with them. Uh, of course, some of that history uh, with Baby G dated over to the Mark, Mark side of the of the fence there. So we almost had this, this complete story, and it was so entertaining to watch how it all went down. Um, as you As you look back on that, kind of hunt and quest what are some of the memories that you have from it yeah it was well documented you know starting with mark but the thing that makes it so mystical or, or the magical aura surrounding goliath is the fact that 
you know, David didn't kill him. My dad didn't kill him. Had he killed the deer, and I'm not saying it would just be another 200 because I don't like throwing that around loosely now, but it seems like there's a few killed on video every year now. But had he killed it, yes, it was an awesome animal. But the fact that he didn't get it almost kind of made you pull for him, kind of tugged at your heartstrings. And, and yes, he killed baby G, you know, a year later, and the deer was scored the same. But, you know, Goliath had the frame. Goliath just had the jaw-dropping jaw footage coming out of the timber, you know, double drop time. So it seems like everywhere we go, that's the first thing they ask. That's, that's, <laughs> what about Goliath? He still must be sick. And, and you know, he's over it. I'm convinced my dad's over it. He, he, it took probably five years, but you know, it doesn't really bother him that bad. Baby G is definitely something that helps you get over it. (laughs) I mean, that was, you know, that's one of those deals. I think dad's probably still, uh, you know, still feeling the baby G deal because he had, he didn't shoot, right? Yeah. He he didn't shoot. shoot. Yeah. Yeah. He he was very close. So it just, it's, um, it was a cool story and, and we're glad that you guys were able to share it with our viewers. And, you know, it just, it's one of those things that, when you look back through Jury Outdoors, there's a few hunts, Skyscraper, you know, Chiquita, this this deal, Dad's 178 there in Iowa, a few that you just always remember, and this will be up there with them for sure. So how uh, how was this past season for you, Jeff? It was good. We had a good season. It was, uh, it was tough. Every, the more people we talked to this offseason, we're realizing how blessed we were because everybody – you know, not really had a down season due to, you know, spots they were hunting or deer they were hunting. It was just warm. It was just, you know, just abnormally warm everywhere you went. It didn't matter if you were out west elk hunting or, you know, late season in the Midwest trying to hunt up crops. It was just a warm fall and winter. So it, it's what we're dealing with. And um, But we were blessed to, to I think we, we killed something like 23, 24 animals on video. So wow. we, were, we feel blessed to have done that. But... Um, it's just amazing looking back how warm a fall it was and and the struggles everybody had and and the new you know obstacles that presented everyone it's almost kind of reinvent the wheel how do you how do you hunt deer late season without hunting them over the food over food or or what do you do to get closer to the bedding areas and the rut and stuff so it's it was challenging because the food definitely was not a draw like it usually is Yeah, when you've got no snow and it's yeah. 45 degrees in late yeah. december that's not quite gonna and, do it for you and really it was green you know somewhat you know there was some like, trefoil and stuff yeah. like that growing up i mean it just it just wasn't a good typical year it was a weird year yeah definitely it was weird. i just checked the camera on a, on a farm a little hundred acre farm i got down the road from the house and it was one camera and i think i had 11 or 12 bucks in March, and here it is, what, the, the 22nd or something, but in March there was 12 bucks still carrying both sides wow. on that farm on one camera. Jeez. And this is a farm that doesn't have a lot of high deer density. That I'm going to say that explains why I haven't found many sheds this year. Sure, sure. Yeah, me too. <laughs> You're looking for something that doesn't exist. Yeah. Or we're just yeah. not good at looking. It we're could, just it, not good it, at finding them. It could them. be that too, but I like, the, I like the first explanation. You know, everybody always asks for a shed hunting tip, and I always say bring somebody that's good at shed hunting. <laughs> go, <laughs> go to Mark's property. Aaron Bennett, I always take him with me because he – I mean, he, literally, we could be standing in the same spot, but he's going to find a shed out awesome. of the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it goes. So it goes. Well, Jeff, we typically on these episodes, we like to take a listener-submitted question and uh, try to convince our guest to help us answer it. So are you up for that? I'm ready, man. Come on, throw it at me. All right, and our question today is an email question from Michael. 
who asked, just wondering your opinion on decoys. I have a Primo Scarface and the Blow Up Miss November decoy, and if I were to hunt dark to dark, should I pull them in the mid to late morning and then put them back out in the late afternoon, or just let them be out there all day? What do you say, Jeff? Um, in that, I guess first I'm curious about that specific situation about timing. Would you pull it in the morning? Would you put it up just in the afternoon or all day? Um, I'm If I'm going to hunt all day, I'm going to leave the decoy out all day because it can do just as well at first light as it can do at lunchtime or, you know, two hours before dark. The key is, you know, just finding that buck who's in the right mood and who wants to play. That's ironically, you know, talk about our Drury Outdoors history. That I think our first two or three hunts, our first three bow hunts that were ever aired on Drury Outdoors were all with decoys. And, and to be honest, we haven't had a, a, a lot of luck with them since. We don't haven't used them as much as we should, but... If I'm going to use a decoy in the rut, I'm using it all day. So when when you mentioned the rut, but when specifically do you like to use a decoy? What are the the conditions or the time of year when you say, yep, now's the time to bring it out? I like somewhere between that, that 6th and 10th of November for a decoy. Um, what I've found is there are like there are three magical days in the whole year, and they're always like right in a row that a decoy just works wonders. And, you know, at some time – when that buck's being aggressive, he got off that first doe looking for the next one or, or, or just plain wanting to fight. You know, he's got his testosterone up. But the problem with it, it's, it varies so much year to year due to weather and moon phase. It's just all kind of things that you don't really know those three magical days till it's over. So about the 6th or the 7th, I'll start taking it with me. And if I'm hunting a funnel or a spot where the deer are going to come by me, anyhow, I'm not putting it out because sometimes it can do more harm than good. But if I'm hunting a a big field edge or somewhere that I can see a long way and I know I'm going to see some some bucks cruising that's when I throw it out there 20 30 yards away kind of quartering it to me and I like to take off one side of the horns because the buck will always come to the side that doesn't have the antler on it so that's just the way I've always done it I learned that a long time ago I don't remember who that was from um, but it's something I've always done so you just mentioned it there quickly, but can you reiterate again? What exactly is the setup? You said quarter to you and one antler off. What else are you? Yeah. How how else are you doing things to set it up properly? Yeah, I'm I'm quartering it to me, and you know the biggest thing that people can get busted on on a decoy is scent. You know, so I'm all about keeping it outside as much as possible without it fading. When I'm handling it, I put rubber gloves on. I'm putting you know buck urine, doe urine, whatever the case may be, on the back end of it, and I'm spraying it down with um, some type of scent concealment that just eliminates any trace of human uh, scent because that's what will get you in trouble. But, yes, I'm, I'm putting it a quarter into me, and just depending on the area, I like to put it on a hill for the most visibility, but, you know, I don't like getting it too far out there because most of the times bucks will come in, they'll come downwind of it, and like I say, I'll usually, if I got a quarter into me with it, with um, on the left and his rack on the front I'll take off that front right side so that way that buck will work around if if the wind's you know blowing in my face and he'll come to that left hand side of that decoy and he'll face him and that's typically what I do just take off that right side and matter of fact I probably don't even have the right horn or antler still <laughs> on my decoy it's just the way I do it every time yeah. a lot of times you'll see a deer if the decoy is working right <clears throat> where it the buck will come up to it, but then he wigs out as soon as he gets close to it. And you, you know, I always thought maybe it was just the look of it, but maybe it's probably actually the human scent side of it, I guess. That could be too. Yeah, that. or a little of both. Yeah. 
I've always been told, uh, and I was actually able, to, I finally had my first kill over decoy this past year, and this worked out well. I've always been told that you want to have that decoy set up so the wind is blowing from the decoy to you, so that, like you said, that buck's going to want to get downwind of it. But in order to get downwind of it, he has to get in between you and close enough for a shot. Well, he'll be clo- he'll be looking at the decoy, but now you've got that shot without him looking at you. Is that the same type of thing that you do? Yeah, wind. absolutely. So if you got that decoy 25 yards, you're hoping he's going to give you a 20-yard shot, something like that. But you, you also got to keep in mind that, that you know, for video purposes, you're wanting that deer to come in and, and you know, kind of do something cool with the decoy because nothing's cooler than a, than a buck mm-hmm. knocking over the decoy. Now, if you're not filming, just kill him first chance you get. But a lot of times they'll come in, they'll smell that human scent, or if they just charge him and knock it over and then just plastic or, or you know, blow up stuff blow up deer going in pieces he's gone you know so you you better take your best your first opportunity you need to take that shot that's one thing i've learned unfortunately the hard way more times than not you know the last few years greg glessinger it always amazes me how he's a drew outdoors team member how much success he's had over decoys and i always think he's crazy you know taking them out and he's had some of the best encounters we've ever had on film you know, John Williams filming them, real close-up stuff with big, big mature bucks that um, they just, like you said, Jeff, it's the right time. They got them in the right mood, and, and those decoys just lured, literally lured them in, you know. You mentioned something, Jeff. You said that um, in certain situations, a decoy can do more harm than good. Um, can you elaborate on when's a situation like that where decoy is more harm than good? And then on the alternative side, What's the situation where, yeah, a decoy is needed here? Yeah, I learned that the hard way. I started just kind of putting the decoy out, not necessarily maybe in the rut. As a kid, I was putting it out in October. I was putting it out <laughs> around Thanksgiving. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just putting it out trying to – there wasn't a whole lot of uh, decoys back then. I was actually using like an old Delta uh, McKenzie deer target and, and just hauling it out to the woods. But And then the deer would come out, the does would come out, typically always does just sit there and blow and stomp and you know just make you want to just run an arrow through them every time so i got where i I went about 10 years and i didn't use a decoy and then they started coming out and everybody had one and i started using them again and started having a little success but you know i really can't put my finger on exactly when they'll freak out about it but you know you definitely the only time you can get away with it in my opinion you know is the rut and you know, I would love in the near future to have a, a real mounted decoy. You know, those those real looking decoys, a real mm, mounted yeah. decoys have kind of taken over the, the turkey world and people have a lot of success. And I would love, a, you know, like a little basket rack eight pointer, a little six pointer, something that won't scare all the bucks off, but, you know, having bedded down or just, just real close, that's, that's something I'd like to work on in the future. It, it really intrigues me. Yeah, Mark always seems to have a lot of success with that when he puts yeah. the real mount on, on a, you know, a boss buck or whatever. And right. that, yeah. that really seems to lure a man. I mean, that realism. Because the body, the, there's a lot of really good-looking decoys out there, honestly. And, you know, that look real. And you put a real head on top of it. I mean, it's, it's I would assume for a deer it's nearly impossible to tell the difference right yeah at least you know, for a while yeah because i mean they're so honed in on it anyways you know the the thing about it though if you you do it like you mentioned if it's you know early in the year or, or late in the year when 
maybe there's a lot of deer coming to a food source. I mean, you have so many opportunities for a doe to just completely screw up that that chance. Yeah. Like, there's not many times a year where it's really worth doing. Yeah, that's right. And in the rut, bucks typically aren't, you know, or a lot of deer aren't typically coming to feed. The does are scared. The bucks are just cruising around. So that's really the only time you can get away with it on food source. You know, a power line or a long field that the deer don't really stay in all day is a great spot to put one in the rut but if you're if you got a field that you know 10 20 deer are hitting every night and you want to go hunt it and and take a a decoy to it better be a really big field or else you're just gonna blow your chances there's not a doe that's gonna know every doe that comes in that field is gonna know hey this ain't right and it's just gonna be more frustrating than anything and the reason why you don't see many people putting it in the timber i mean they just don't it doesn't work at all right like if they walk up and all of a sudden there's a deer standing there it freaks them freaks them out that's what i was gonna say just like a turkey i guess you yeah know? exactly i think one of those situations where decoy is dangerous if it's a spot like that like in the timber if yeah. you surprise a deer with a decoy i think that's where you're getting issues or if you've got the decoy just outside of a thick patch of cover just above a hill or something they come popping out yeah. and all of a sudden boom there's a decoy um I think those places are, are kind of risky. Or, like you mentioned, Jeff, lots of does in the area. I think a perfect situation is if it's like a relatively low deer density and you're in an open area and you're in a spot where ne not necessarily a lot of deer are coming through, but you know that you could see something off in the distance and you could maybe call the one in the distance and bring in that single buck. That yeah. seems like a dynamite situation. Um, and that was actually exactly what happened for me this November. And um, speaking of calling, I'm kind of curious for you, Jeff, how do you incorporate, if at all, calling or rattling or something like that when you're using a decoy? Yeah, I like to do a lot of grunt and snort wheeze. Snort wheeze, to me, is the most deadliest call. I just do it with my mouth, but it's the most deadliest call out there, especially when you got a decoy. If I'm rattling, I'm only going to rattle enough to get their attention, and that's no matter if i got a decoy or not. But when that buck turns and looks at me, I'm stopped. I don't, I don't want to let him see me moving in the tree. I don't want to... Um, attract noise to you know 20 foot up in the tree so rattling grunting whatever i'll do it till i get his attention and at that point i'm counting on the decoy to kind of take over it just like hey look i'm over here you see me that's when the curiosity needs to kick in for the buck yeah that makes sense that seems in line with what most people have heard do and what i what i've seen that was exactly kind of what worked for me as i saw this buck coming across i grunted at him he didn't seem to hear it grunt again didn't seem to hear it then i snort wheezed that guy's attention and as soon as as soon as that body language changed and i saw he he was looking at the decoy he knew it was there he pinned his ears back and that's all right lay off the grunt and just just yeah. let him do his thing yeah and uh he's committed once he's committed you just <clears throat> let him do his thing i think i think sometimes people worry that i made him i made him grunt once and he's looking my way maybe he starts moving my way but he hasn't come all the way people want to keep calling keep calling keep calling i think that's usually a mistake I'm usually too scared to do that because I think they're, you know, they're looking. Obviously, once you get their attention, they're looking, they're looking. The only time I, I, I'll really continue to keep calling is if they, I can't get them to – they looked or they stopped, you snort wheeze or whatever, and it got their attention, but they didn't fully commit and they keep walking. Usually that's the only time I feel like I'm desperately, you know, rattling or yeah. grunting or, you know. Yeah. I would just yell, come back if I could. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely – A lot of times in the rut, they – I don't care if you have a – you know, a bullhorn. They're not looking over there. Yeah. They're on the next doe. They're, they're probably sleep deprived. They probably haven't slept in like, you know, three or four days. They're thinking about that next doe and they could care less about a buck or yeah. they could care less about two deer fighting, you know? So it's, it's really tricky on, on the buck's mood, you know, but if you catch him in the right mood, nothing works better than a decoy. So 
I'm curious, Jeff. I know you do some hunting in Georgia too. How does your tactic like this or your strategies like this, how do they differ from when you're hunting in Iowa to when you go somewhere like Georgia? Would you ever even use a decoy or something like this down there? And if so, how's it different, if at all? Well, in my previous conversations where I was talking about using a decoy back in the day, that's exactly what I was doing, um, you know, 20 years ago in Georgia as a kid and um, trying to, you know, reading these articles about people decoying bucks in the Midwest and stuff like that. Well, my experience, my luck, that does not work in Georgia. Now, you know, like I said, I probably was using a target back then. It probably was shot up and, and was a, a, a color of brown that doesn't exist in the deer world. But so you know in georgia in november most people are hunting with a rifle very few are hunting with a um a bow and arrow so you don't really need a uh, a decoy when you're hunting them with a rifle but in the south i haven't had any success with with decoys those deer down there are just a little too spooky a little too scared i don't know if it's hunting pressure or what but it's a different type of deer in the midwest and they're wanting to fight everything and and i found that as you get out to like a kansas or a texas where you have really aggressive deer uh, decoy strategies are even well more a lot more documented coming in beating them up and having a lot more success but you know anything i don't know where you got to go up to you know kentucky you know southern missouri something like that to really start having some luck with decoys but as far as the south i as bad as i hate to say it i've had zero luck with them yeah i think that i think to your point probably a lot of it has to do with hunting pressure um, because like up by me in Michigan, you know, I would, I wouldn't bring a decoy out if you paid me probably, uh, just because I think <laughs> okay, most, I think most deer there are just so high strung yeah. and they, they've, there's so many hunters, you know, there's 1 million hunters <laughs> in Michigan out there trying all these crazy things and a bunch of them are putting decoys out and honking and tooting on the grunt calls and stuff. Um, everybody's rattling. Oh yeah. It's just chaos yeah. out there. But I go into the fast pro catalog. Oh, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. I'll try that. False um, buck. Yeah, but I, I have heard of a few people, because um, just this past fall, I was dealing with a buck, and we talked about it a lot, where um, I was having a hard time getting him over onto my side of a property line sometimes, and I had some limits of where I could hunt, and, um, you know, one of these ideas I started thinking about was, should I do something crazy like a decoy? And I never ended up doing it, because I still just didn't think it was worth the risk, but I did end up talking to a couple guys in Michigan who said that they had on a couple of rare occasions had some success with it but i think it depends very it's very circumstantial and i think in most cases if you're hunting really heavily pressured places like that or pennsylvania wherever um probably nine times out of ten is too risky but the other thing to think about there is usually it's um it's not a mature deer herd either that you're hunting so they're not they're not looking to get in a fight yeah you know right so your deer holyfield would it be five next year this fall i think so So, you know he he might actually finally be in the mood to do a little fighting if he's been there his whole life and he's he's been the dominant buck for the last couple of years and then all of a sudden uh pops this you it's know possible. you know a deer posturing it might it might draw him in yeah that's that's the big question is can you get him in that right mood yeah and you know <laughs> do you want to risk it do i want that's the thing <laughs> yeah. is do i want to risk it or does he see that and say i've seen 27 of those all, yeah. all these other places yeah. all the other yahoos I'm not going anywhere near that ever again. <laughs> Might put a like a six point yeah. <laughs> head on him, right? Yeah. yeah, go real small on that. One. Take both horns off. True, yeah. true. <laughs> I don't know, um, but yeah, I mean, decoys are one of those things that seem to be so area dependent and so like situation dependent. But when you do have those, yeah. all those stars align, oh, well, it's pretty awesome. 
I've only used them a couple times, and it's just been on the lease because at Dad's place, like he never he, he never uses them. He, he barely he rarely calls or rattles or it just his deer density is so high. He always says it just doesn't affect them the same way there. I'm, I'm oh. sure, you know, I and Jeff, you've you've had the you you've hunted there before too, and you've seen it firsthand, and it's not quite the same as it was when when you had hunted there but um you know he's had a little bit of ehd and whatnot but it just it didn't seem like it affects them the same way there and it's it's just a high deer density you know like they just don't care yeah you know it's like oh there's oh, so well. deer in every field that um, yeah i would be worried of just spooking them with a decoy yeah and on that farm yeah yeah hmm. well on the decoy front is there anything else we haven't really covered matt or jeff I don't think so. Just, just scent control. That is that, or, you know, we talked about that earlier. Can't say that enough. Keep that buck or doe, whatever you're using, you know, everybody has their own opinion on which one they want to use. And, and it just depends on the time of the rut, but keep it outside, you know, don't keep that thing in the back seat of your truck or, or in your garage, keep it somewhere where it's getting natural airflow and spray it down with whatever scent elimination um, product you're using. You know, sometimes we, we take ours apart and put them in our scent crusher closet, but you know, whatever you got to do, keep that thing, scent free you know one thing we didn't touch on and it's a decoy would be something like a tree koi whether it's mm. you, you know one yeah. a real tree that you put in or it's one of these you know like flambeau has or something like that i mean that's another decoy the the, the purpose yeah. is still the same you're just trying to draw them to a specific spot you know in front of you and <clears throat> what i noticed i got two of them out and um on on the lease and all my pictures, I mean, every buck I got hits both of them. Usually, it's the middle of the night in yeah. these on these food pots, but they they do come to them. It's a fish to structure type of deal. I mean, they will come and, and hit, especially if you've cut every limb on your field and they got nowhere else to put a scrape. You know, it does. It does, it. it comes in handy. You ever use something like that, Jeff? Yeah, we have. We've used a couple of the tree koi's, and, and you know, before those came out, we were you know we would go around to our box stands and and you know zip tie or wire some big long limbs and, and hang down and get them a little too close to you doing that strategy but you know that's a tree koi or a tree branch anything mock scrape that's something that's not going to scare any deer off you know so it's kind of foolproof so if i got a spot i'm like i like to hunt in the rut or or even early season you know and it's somewhere i know i'm going to hunt more than a handful of times i'm making scrapes all all over that field anywhere within bow range because those deer will come visit them yeah. yeah, and it's just one more thing you can possibly put in your favor. If there's a slightly better chance that you can get that deer to come in the spot where you want them to, that can make the difference. I need all the help I can get. Yeah, <laughs> we all can. <laughs> so, so, Jeff, I've got one final question for you. Um, if there was one thing you had to say that you took away from this past season, the season, the 2016 season, one lesson learned or something that was reaffirmed or you were reminded of, um, whatever the big moral of the 2016 deer hunting season for you was what do you think that'd be the biggest thing i would say is like the deer my mother killed um at the end of december mvp she killed him over in a biologic radish field and typically you know going back to our our warm weather this past fall warm winter conversation radishes clover um all those are typically done by thanksgiving on our farm or in the midwest and then you kind of shift over to standing beans standing corn turnips you know sugar beets the, the late season uh, attractants and stuff. But that was the biggest thing I learned, that don't write those off on, on warm winters. You know, she her deer came out, ate in clover, and then came, and she actually ended up shooting 
eating radishes at about 75 yards. And that's something that, you know, the last 10 years, there's no way those, they would be gone. They would be rotted away, whatever radishes do and clover goes dormant. But this year, you know, that, that was the biggest thing I learned. Don't write that stuff off on warm falls or warm winters. Well, isn't it, I think Mark and Terry always say this. They say what uh, green, when it's, you know, green and green. When it's warm, you go to green. When it's yeah. cold, you go to green. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, so there's a perfect example of that right there. Absolutely. Pretty well, simple. We said a lot more green this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, the, the deer I killed in Illinois during the shotgun season, I thought, you know, it was, that was beginning of December, the second shotgun season. And <clears throat> you would think, that time of year tra- traditionally grain and we were sitting a cut cornfield but sure enough it was eating this little like trefoil that grew up yep. <coughs> excuse me right there and it was amongst the corn but it was hitting that trefoil so it was hitting green right. because it was warm you know so perfect example yeah yeah very true well i think with that we can probably wrap this one up so jeff thank you <coughs> Excuse me. God, I was about to die there. No. <coughs> All right. Well, before Matt keels over here, Jeff, thank you for joining us. We really do appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on. It means a lot. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thank and you. for everyone out there listening or viewing, our usual quick reminder, if you want to listen to the audio version, you can subscribe on iTunes or the podcast app or Stitcher or Google Play. And if you want to send in a question of your own for us to answer on one of these future episodes, you can go to wiredtohunt.com slash 100. That's the number 100, 100% wild. As always, you can check us out on the Drury Outdoors YouTube page. The video version of this podcast exists there as well as all the others. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe. We have constant new content coming out there. DOD TV, Killing in the Kitchen, Throwback Thursdays, all kinds of good stuff. Heck, we probably got, well, I know we got the David versus Goliath. Watch that if you yeah, have Yeah, please. Go and watch that. That's crazy. <laughs> It's, it is. So always you can check us out on DrewyOutdoors.com and all the social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That's a mouthful. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening.